0: I can't believe this is my last service here Don't you go. <laughs> Um, I, um, I meditate on the Word of God, uh, particularly in my spare time. Perhaps it's my, the most, should I say what, um, prime hobby for me. Of course, I have other hobbies, watching soccer and other things. (laughs) I tried to orientate myself to American football. I was like, don't... It looks like most of the time it's in the hands, and it's not the football, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why do they call it football? (laughs) Well, those are part of my what I call cultural shocks when you are coming from a third world country. And where the British taught you football is soccer. Um, but what I want to say today is, um, I want to just share briefly, I know Pastor Chris might be um, interviewing me. Um, Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse the first five verses, it's like what I call a post-send-off visit which Paul is sharing. He had been to Corinth. He had been to Corinth for 18 months, preaching the gospel. And Corinth would be like our New York today. Big place. And um, um, now, New York is big. You have the Broadway, the theaters there. You have Wall Street, the most powerful stock exchange in the world. You have everything going there. That would have been like Corinth in the day of Paul. And those of you that are going to do follow Paul's steps, I think you will possibly get to Corinth, I suppose. Um, But I like what he said there. It kind of resonates with uh, uh, what was going in our hearts or in our minds when uh, Pastor Chris Formally invited me to come to the United States of America. And I told my wife, Ernie, my wife, Annie, says, mm, Did you hear him right? Did he say you go to America? Mm. She kind of doubted that. So I said, Okay, uh, wait. So after two weeks, uh, Chris Kramer calls. And she, the call, I mean, she's right. She's right before me, so I put the phone, you know, on loud so she would hear Pastor Chris Kramer. <laughs> Talk about us coming to America. Eh, long story short, she kind of believed me. <laughs> no, if you don't mind, I will read those first five verses of First Corinthians chapter 2. It's, it looks like Paul was in Corinth and he had gone back and it's a recording about his side off. So he says, um, this is how it was for me, to my dear family, when I came to you. I didn't come to proclaim God's mystery to you by means of a spiritual style of speaking with, or wisdom. No, I decided to know nothing in my dealings with you except Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ, him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in great trembling, in fear and trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in transparent proof brought home powerfully by the Spirit, so that your faith might not be in human wisdom, but in God's power. Now, this is Paul. Now, Paul was learned, a learned man. Um, compared today, he would be having several degrees or postoral, postdoctoral degrees. But he says, When I came to you, I came in weakness. And when I came to you, Corinth, big city, I didn't want to be impressed by the Broadway's there, the Wall Street, and the the power of the mammon, the power of money. I didn't come to be impressed by all that. I came only to know, and I wanted to only know one thing. I wanted to know In my dealings with you, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, if you google your phone and Christ crucified, you find that it's a term which Paul used a few times in his uh, Gospels. Without much ado, I would like to say that. uh, Christ crucified is what I call an epitome of power above all power. It is God's way of winning our hearts. The power of suffering love. Um, for Paul, it, the cross was not just an event. The cross was a way of life. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Yes, I live, but not... It's no longer Paul that is living. I'm just paraphrasing. It is Christ who lives in me. In one scripture, he says, I am crucified to the world. And the world is crucified to me. So crucifixion in this particular case, as far as Christ is concerned, Paul, it went and transcended beyond the activity or the event itself. The crucifixion of Christ became a mindset of Paul. It became a way of life to Paul. And even when he came to Corinth, much as Corinth was quite overwhelming, a big place. He said, I came to you in weakness. And I came to you not with the oratorical powers of Apollo. I came to you, I spoke and declared the word of God to you. In the spirit and power of the Lord. That your faith should not stand on the wisdom of men, but it should stand in the power of God. I, would just, I don't know whether I have time. But let me mention just three things which for me epitomize Christ crucified. Epitomizes, in other words, it highlights the importance of the cross. Number one, um, Christ crucified as far as Paul is concerned or as the way Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 to 11 which I will not read is what I call the Trinitarian life portrayed in the theater of creation. Now in Philippians chapter 2 we are told that Christ emptied himself. Although he was God and equal with God, he emptied himself he actually died the death of of, uh, what I would call a criminal so to speak because he was hanging among criminals although he was God he emptied himself and died on that cross now Christ emptying himself Christ doing the will of God and dying at that cross was an indicator in the theater of creation of how God does life in his Trinitarian relationship. Because the three persons of the Trinity, I would want to ask you to read Richard Rohr's book, The divine dance. They empty themselves into each other. I call it, after I read Richard Rohr's book, I thought about the flow of liquid love into each other. They empty themselves into each other. They make themselves bankrupt to enrich the other. Of course, God can't be bankrupt. But the poor themselves into each other. And Christ comes and on the cross he empties himself and almost makes himself of naught. It's like here is God and God does not claim to be God. He emptied himself and this is being manifested in our hearing and in our sight. The second thing, when Paul says, I didn't want to know anything among you except Christ crucified. I think he had this in mind. The cross is God's way, like I said, of doing life. Not only doing life, but what I would call operating in life. God wins by losing. And gains lo- he gains by losing. He wins by losing and gains by losing. Which conqueror wins by dying? That's a complete paradox of how we know victory on planet Earth. Because conquerors don't die. The conquerors kill others. But they themselves do not die. This conqueror chooses to die on a wooden cross. God has his, what I call, most subversive way of winning. The third thing, because I wrote good notes, so I want to read clearly what, what was here. Just before I go to the third point, is that God wins by dying. Jesus Christ chooses suffering love as the only way to win us. People like uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Um, I did a bit of Mahatma Gandhi because uh, when I was in high school, I won an essay con- co- uh, competition which was uh, um, um, was uh, uh, sponsored by the Indian High Commission. So it was for all high schools in Malawi. And I won the second prize of that essay competition. Competition, and so they gave me books uh, of Mahatma Gandhi, and one of them was about the non-violence. What they call in India the satyagraha. It, it is what they call non-violence uh, demonstration, non-violent, you know, portrayal of their agenda. And right here. In the United States of America, Martin Luther King Jr. actually took or copied, or that, that's not, not copied, but actually was won by the same, you know, sentiments and the same, you know, what I would call the same way of doing things. And he proposed nonviolence as a way of dealing, the, as a way of countering power. It's what I would call the subversively way of dealing with power. And now, Scripture is so clear. Caesar was Lord. And when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he had just underlined the fact that everybody needed to know that Caesar is Lord. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the third day, Colossians chapter two, verse thirteen to fifteen, says, Caesar was no longer Lord, because the Lord was the Lord. The one whom death could not contain was the Lord. And Colossians two fifteen says he actually portrayed them, demonstrated it openly. I can strip the powers that be because he was Lord. That's what Colossians chapter two fifteen. He rose again from the dead. And like I said, God wins by dying. Mahatma Gandhi chose that people will win by nonviolence. Likewise, Martin Luther King chose to do, you know, to encounter powers that be, which were violent, they extremely violent, he says, we will encounter them with nonviolence. And this is what he said, actually. It, I really liked what he said. He says, nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon, which cuts without wounding, and it ennobles the one who wields it. And it is a sword that heals. Suffering love is healing love. Suffering love is the only power above all power that will win the world to itself. Suffering love. The third thing I wanted to say is more or similar. The cross epitomizes power that is subserv- that is, ultimately subversive to all power that exists right now. Um, in the first Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, uh, this is what Paul um, uh, says. Of course, he says, Where is the wise man? Where is the Better of this urge has not God made the wisdom of this world foolish and then he goes on to say that uh, uh, the Greeks think this is folly and the Jews think this is uh, uh, this is pure nonsense but to those that are saved Christ going to the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, the writer of the book, the revolution, the day the revolution began. This is anti-right. Rebukes more much of our evangelical messages messages, messages today. He says we have not just minimize the message of the cross, but we have skewed the message of the cross. It's like Christ came that he should fish us out, out of earth and get us to go to heaven. And he also says we have so minimized the gospel to the... I I just killed the gospel because it's about an angry God who cannot see us in the face and therefore punishes his son and kills his son so that he should accept us. This God is not different from heathen idols. And sometimes we'll proclaim that as the gospel He says, I'm borrowing his thoughts here, that uh, Christ went to the cross. He died to rescue evil people, whom we call sinners, that they would join his restorative movement on planet Earth. God's restorative movement is called the kingdom of God, or as Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven. And this movement which Christ started when he died on the cross, the problem was not with God against us, the problem was us against God. God needed to sort out our hearts so that our hearts would accept and love this God. Reconciliation did not require God. It required us to be reconciled to God. Let me add. The issue did not require God loving us. It required us loving God. So the problem was not with God loving us. The problem was with us loving God. And so Christ comes to deal with our hearts. He comes to deal with our sin. The very sin that took him to the cross. Because we were so vile. At a natural level, no one will love God except with the work of Christ except with the spirit of Christ. And so, what am I saying? He came to transform evil people whom we call sinners to be his worshippers. To be transformed into Active workers in the restorative movement on planet Earth. An activity that would culminate into the new heavens and the new earth. The Bible talks much about it. But the work has already begun. In Hebrews chapter 6 says, the spirit that is in us is actually the spirit of the coming age. So those of you that have the spirit of Christ in you, the new age has already dawned. This age is going away. God is already coming in. Jesus said, the kingdom is already amidst you. So, the new age is coming in and it is being infused subversively. That's why some authors have, Ed and wrote a book about the subversive kingdom. And he talks about the kingdom of God that is already coming in, it's working underground, it's actually subverting the current kingdoms. And Dallas Willard also wrote a book, he talks about the divine conspiracy. Yes, it's a conspiracy the new age is bringing in is actually being fused into the old one and the old one is on the retreat I know there's still so much to worry about out there there's still racism there's still you know evil there's still there is still Isis but the fact of the matter is that the new age has come in and the God is in retreat. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says, a day is coming, and it's already here. Heaven and earth will have one government and one governor, and that governor will be Jesus Christ. Christ crucified represents one with power over power. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 talks about the exceeding power of God. Or as N.T. Wright says in his Bible, he says, the outstanding surpassing great power it was part of Paul's prayer that we would get to know this kind of power. Actually, he talks about three things. He says that you might know the hope to which you have been called. And the second thing he says that you may know the glory of your inheritance you have been called. And the third he says that you might know the exceeding surpassing greatness of his power. F.F. F. Blue says that's the power at work in us, which is and exceeds all power that has ever been, including the power of creation. That power is at work in Christ. It is at work in you as we labor, as we labor to bring in what we call the transformative movement of God. Which is the kingdom of God. All of us are agents to that kingdom. So Paul goes back to say, When I came to you, Corinthians, yes, you live in a great city, a powerful metropolis. I didn't want to know anything among you except Christ crucified. Because Christ crucified is in him lies the subversive power of suffering love which will win the whole universe.